morning is found in uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to do verses uh, 12 through 26. And I'm going to start with uh, just 12 through 18. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. This is Paul speaking. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. My father-in-law is a guy of many hobbies. When I, I first met him, he was uh, collecting antique tractors and restoring them and, and, and repairing them. And I had found out that he had only gotten into those a few years earlier. Uh, but every year he would load up a, uh, a trailer filled with these things and take them to shows and show them off and drive them around and repair them and give people advice on them. And then after that he got into flour mills where he would take these antique things that people would say, is that a washing machine? What is that thing? And he's like, no, that thing grinds flour. And he would work with all of those. After that, it was these stationary engines. It was like these one-ton devices with these massive flywheels. And I think he dragged me around because I helped load and unload, and because I was tall enough and heavy enough that I could turn the flywheel. And now he's a blacksmith. Why not, in your 70s, just decide to take up a multi-ton thing where you're going to have to lift heavy things and pound them till your arms hurt? Seems like the right thing to do. But in all of these things, he has a story about something new he found out how to do, some, some plan he had to make something or make something work, and it always ended in, that was a learning experience. And it's coming through the uh, monitors, if, if you're wondering, Jeff. That was a learning experience. That was a learning experience was code for, the plan didn't work at all. It came out in no way, not even close to what I wanted it to do. But it either was successful in spite of the plan falling apart, or that was a learning experience. I'll give you an example. When they moved into their new house uh, several years ago, uh, my, uh, they wanted an antenna on the, on, uh, to watch shows with, and the roof wasn't tall enough. So we went and got one of those old antenna towers, you know, those massive ones. We got the tallest one we could find. And uh, we started looking at it. So how do we put this thing up? We decided that he had a plan. He's like, if we assemble this thing on the ground and we get it all ready to go, we could take one of my antique tractors and we could take the bucket and we'll lift it in the air and we'll flip it down. So we tried that, only we couldn't get it. It just kind of hung there sideways and flip-flopped in the breeze. So that, that didn't work very well. So we brought it back down. Let's take a series of pipes and hook them together with chains and just keep working the pipes together over and over and over again, one right after the other. And we'll get it long enough that we'll get high enough up that we'll be able to put it up and then, Bob, you stay on the ground, because I'm always his side man in these things, and you push that thing and it'll drop into the hole and then we'll be all good. So this was the plan we, we decided to go with. Well, one of his friends came over who said he would also be willing to help. He heard our plan and he said, no, this'll, 
this will never work. I said, it'll be a learning experience. We'll, we'll get through this thing, you know. So we get it all hooked up. We get it there on the ground. He raises it up as high as it'll go. This thing's flip-flopping back. I'm jumping on it with all my might to get the, the end down that needs to get down. The other guy's trying to stay as far away. I'm like, you got to help. You got to help. We need, you got to get it in there. And we slide it all the way over. And I realize that with holding it up in the air like that, we are this short of actually dropping into the stand and being safe. And I said to my father-in-law, it's got to come down this much. He said, no, no, no. As soon as I hit that button, that bucket's just going to slam to the ground. There's no stopping it. And I said, how about if you go like this? Because why not? That's the best plan I could come up with. And he goes, when I do, you've got to be ready to move, bud. Either move to put it in the hole or move to get out of the way. Because one way or the other, it's coming towards you. Like, no problem. The guy next to me, he's white as a ghost. And so he's got a hold of one end. I've got a hold of the other end. And I go like that. And my father-in-law goes like that. The thing drops down. The chain snaps loose, hooks off. It knocks me over. But as it knocks me over, my foot kicks it at the last. And the whole thing dropped down in the hole. Looked at my father-in-law and I went, <laughs> just like we wanted it to go. And the other guy said, you two are stupid. <laughs> you're not crazy, you're just stupid. I said, well, what my, my father-in-law says, the uh, Lord looks out for the, the children and the stupid people, and the Lord's been looking out for him for years, is what he says. But he didn't care that his plan fell apart. He only cared that the antenna got put in the way it needed to be put in, and, and he was successful in that. One of my favorite uh, movies, Christmas movies, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Story about a poor guy just trying to get from New York to Chicago at Christmas. And then he meets up with uh, John Candy's character. We probably don't even know the name of We just know him as John Candy's character from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And it leads to the series of mishaps. And I don't think they had one thing go their way in the entire hour and a half of that movie. But what was Steve Martin's character's goal the entire movie? Get home for Thanksgiving. Did he make it? He did, with John Candy in tow. Here they two come up carrying that, that chest that they carried through that whole movie, and they had stories, didn't they? They had a learning experience. They now knew that cabbies can't always be trusted. <laughs> they now knew what the difference is between pillows and something else when you're in bed together. You know, they, all, they now knew all of these different things about each other that two people should never have to know about one another. <laughs> but they had a learning experience, and they ultimately met their goal of getting to where their destination needed to be. Paul was a learning experience guy. Paul was a planes, trains, and automobiles guy. Paul was a guy who said, I am pressing on towards the mark. I am pressing on towards the goal. I am going forward with what Christ has for me. And if the plans work or the plans don't, that's okay. Last week we began talking about this great letter. This letter from Paul to a church that he'd started 10 years earlier. This letter from Paul uh, talking to them about what was going on in his life then, thanking them for their continued partnership with him in the gospel, thanking them for their love and their commitment to being a part of him. This letter is filled from one end to the other with signs of happiness, signs of true, genuine joy, signs of a guy, Paul, and a, and a church who are happy people. And ironically, Paul is writing this after he's been in prison and after he's basically been in the prison system for several years. Now, I typically don't associate happiness and incarceration in the same sentence. Prison is typically a place pretty absent of happiness. 
Prison is typically a place where hopes and dreams die. But here's Paul. And we'll get into a story a little bit here, but here he is under guard 24 hours a day, chained oftentimes to a Roman uh, guard, uh, prison guard, Roman soldier. How is it that he can have so much joy and so much happiness left in him? All throughout the book of Philippians, we're going to see different components to what that means to have that happiness. Last week, we talked a little bit about it being his focus, being the partnership in the gospel. We'll touch upon that again. But this week, we have to look at what's going on in Paul's life, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having begun having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Well, first, Paul starts with, what has happened to me? What has happened to him? Well, Paul is in prison. Again. Paul was on his third missionary journey, and he started to hear some grumblings about some people in Jerusalem who were mad at the way he was doing things. And so they called him and they said, we want you to come back because we want you to stand trial for what you've done. And Paul said, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm free to do that. I'll go ahead and do that. And so he heads over to, uh, to Jerusalem. Well, people start to see who he is and they start to realize who he is. Some of them get mad and they decide that a vigilante level of justice is what's needed here. And a crowd forms around him, a mob accusing him of terrible things. And they're about to kill him. And there's a Roman soldier there who can think of no other way to save this guy's life than to say, you're under arrest, because once he's under arrest, he's out of the Jewish authority, and he saves uh, Paul's life by arresting him. Well, remember when he got arrested in Philippi, we talked about it last week, he, after he got arrested in Philippi, they beat him before they let him go. And Paul said, oh no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I've had too many beatings in my life, I'm not taking another beating. And so Paul pulls out his Roman citizenship ID, and he says, I am a citizen, citizen of Rome. You can't beat citizens of Rome. We get a fair trial. The guy's like, oh man, you've really made my day complicated. That's a lot of paperwork to do here. So he ships him off to a place where he's got to sit under house arrest and he's waiting for a trial. And one leader sends him over here and the other leader sends him over here. They don't know what to do with him. So for two years, they monkey with Paul's life. For two years, he doesn't know whether he's going to live, whether he's going to die, whether he's ever going to see freedom again. And they just can't decide what to do with him, so they choose to do nothing. And so Paul finally says, forget it. This, is, this, is, this whole thing is not working. I am going to appeal to Caesar, which was his right under, as a Roman citizen. Appealing to Caesar meant they had to transfer you, prisoner number 1347856, over back to Rome, where you're going to sit there until Caesar is ready to hear about your, about your situation and rule on it. And so they put him on a prison transport. This was not the Pacific Princess, for those of you old enough to remember the love boat. This was a prison transport. It was horrible. And apparently not the best one in the, ship, in the fleet because they hit a storm and it sank. And Paul helped people get to, get to safety, um, basically uh, risking his own life. And then the guards were like, well, I don't know how we're going to guard all these people while we're waiting to be rescued from being shipwrecked. How about if we just kill all the prisoners? Because that seemed like a reasonable thing to do. 
Paul's like, we're not going, and please don't kill us. And so they all made themselves useful. So now he's in shipwreck situation on this island. And finally they get rescued, and he gets taken to Rome. And they're like, you're going to have to find an apartment, a place to live. Let us know. You're going to be under house arrest because apparently ankle bracelets hadn't been invented yet. And he had to sit in those four walls all day long. He could have visitors come and go as he pleased. But the entire time Paul was awake, he had a Roman guard shackled to him. You better like each other. And if you don't, well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Learning experience, that's exactly right. So that, when Paul says, I want you to know that what has happened to me, talk about burying the lead. I mean, horrible, horrible things have happened. What has happened to me? There is a lot in Paul's what has happened to me story. And I think if we went around the tables this morning and we said, tell me your what has happened to me story, we may find a lot in some of the lives that some of you have. There are people in this world who feel chained. They feel chained to a relationship. They feel chained to a set of responsibilities they either underestimated or never signed up for in the first place, but yet, there they are. Some people feel chained to a goal, a career, a job, different things like that. But ultimately, they feel like things have happened to them that weren't within the plan, that haven't quite reached learning experience level yet. They're just tough. And so, some problems or situation you're, you're, you're going through, for some, your problems or your situation is something you must endure and some of you even look at it as, you're talking this morning about happiness. Happiness is going to come when I get rid of these chains. But that's not what Paul said, is it? Paul's not talking about a happiness when he's through it. Paul's talking about a happiness in the midst of it. It's kind of a thread that runs through this entire book. He's saying it's possible to be happy even when you're shackled with the worst of situations in life. When you hear Paul's story, some would say he would have every right to be bitter, and I, th I think there's some truth to that. He has devoted his entire life since salvation to serving God. He's made his, his, his sole focus commitment to spread Christ's love and message of salvation at all, to all. Does Paul really deserve a life like this? So what's Paul say? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The first thing I want you to notice is Paul's perspective. Perspective is powerful. Perspective is how are we looking at the situation we find ourselves in today? What are we looking at when we look at the situation we find ourselves in today? I promise not to make a football reference every single week, but the Bears are going to have some perspective in the offseason. And if you're a Bears fan, you're going to have different perspective depending on which way you like the leadership or the coach to go. Years ago, uh, my, my niece uh, came over and I decided we were going to take uh, Haley and her and, and uh, Carla and myself. We were all going to go to Chicago. And my niece had been to Chicago several times with my sister. They would drive up and they'd go to Navy Pier. And they'd spend a boatload of money at the Children's Museum. And then they'd spend a boatload of money at Bubba Gump's. And they might ride the merry-go-round or the merry-go-round, the Ferris wheel. And, uh, and then they'd, they'd say that was a great day in Chicago and they would go home. Well, I was broke. I can't afford no merry-go-rounds or Ferris wheels or Navy piers or all that other good sort of thing. So I took my niece and my daughter and my wife and I dropped them on. We all got on Metro. 
And we took the metro train all the way into Chicago, and they got to sit on the second deck and watch outside as all that happened. And then when we got off the train, I said, let's take the water taxi. And so there were all the commuters going to work that morning, and there we are sitting with them on the water taxi, cruising down the river. And then we get to there, and I'm like, okay, so now let's just walk up Michigan Avenue, and we'll get a nice meal. And then from there, I've got some bus passes that I still had from back when I used to come downtown all the time. Let's go up to Lincoln Park with these things. We'll do a walk around the zoo. I'm the cheapest uncle on earth. And we got done with all of that, and I'm like, well, at this point, uh, we can't walk back to Union Station all the way from Lincoln Park Zoo, so let's just take, I've got some money left on the bus passes, let's take those things, and let's get back to Metra, and we ended our day. She got on the call phone with my sister that night, and she goes, Uncle Bob is the best! I had the best day in Chicago of my entire life! We rode a train, we took a boat ride down the river, we got to go on a bus, and Mom, I thought the guy across from me was going to throw up, but he didn't throw up. <laughs> and we got to walk down Michigan Avenue and see these big buildings, and I got to pretend I was shopping at a fashion mall thing in, in Water Tower Place. She's like, I've never had a better day in Chicago than that. Mom, how come you don't take me to Chicago? Because <laughs> she saw two different Chicagos that day. Now that same trip we took was taken by several thousand people that morning, but they had an entirely different perspective on it. We, my, uh, Haley, or uh, my wife noticed as we were looking around, people were just like, no eye contact. We joke about it. Be like, just surviving, just no eye contact whatsoever. Get on the boat, they all try and huddle where they get inside because they, God forbid, fresh air would touch their skin, you know, and they're going to hide in there. And then the, the, the bus, they're rolling their eyes as the guy is uh, using the, uh, oh, I forgot about that, using the wheelchair lift. They're like, oh, we got to wait for this guy to do the wheelchair lift. Haley and her are watching. They're like, that thing just picked that guy up. That is so cool. Same day, same events, completely different perspective. Paul's perspective is one that chooses to view life in terms of his passion, in terms of his purpose, and in terms of God's priorities, not Paul's problems. What is Paul's passion? Oh, it doesn't take long to figure out Paul's passion. Remember last week, Paul said, I pray for you guys every day, and I am so happy when I pray for you guys because you and me, we're partners in the gospel. You and me, we serve God together. You and I, our lives are transformed because we are partakers of God's grace. You and I, we are together, and I love you and you love me, and the reason why is because God has done something so transformational in my life. God has changed me in such a huge way that every day when Paul wakes up, he says, how do I serve him today? What's the next step, the next thing to do as a partner in the gospel, as something that's going to drive me forward every day? Paul wasn't driven forward by whether or not his appeal was going to work or not, though that was probably important to him. Paul wasn't driven forward by how, lo how long it was going to take a rescue ship to get them from being shipwrecked, though I'm sure that was very important to him. Paul was driven forward every day by who he could share the love of Christ with and who he could be with even as believers to share the love of Christ with each other, to hear each other's problems, to partner with each other. And you're going to see that as we go further into this book. Paul's passion was to know Christ and to serve Christ. Side question, what are you passionate about? A lot of times when I'm out of town, I'll, I'll find my way and I'll, 
I, I, I sit at whatever bar has live music. And then I tell the bartender, listen, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and get drunk tonight, but let's make a deal. I'll tip you like I'm going to get drunk tonight. Because it's not your fault that I'm not going to order $100 in drinks here. I'm going to suck down as much Diet Pepsi as that spigot will pull out. Um, but I want to do that. And I look around. And you'll always find a guy who's also there on business, and so we'll always hit up a conversation. And I always ask him the same thing. What is it about what you're doing in life that gets your head to leave the pillow each morning? That's exactly what I ask him. What is it about what you're doing in life gets your head to leave the pillow each morning? When you're in prison like Paul was, that would be a very hard question to ask, wouldn't it? You wouldn't believe some of the answers I've gotten. I've gotten the house payment, the car payment, the college payments for the kids. Like, what excites you about getting up in the morning? What is, what is driving you to go in? When you have to go, if you're in sales, you have to go meet with these people. What's so exciting about it? And I can't tell you the number of people I've found that it's just become a slog and a trudge. And then I, I just challenge them with it. I'm like, if I've got to spend eight hours of my day doing something that's going to be a slog, I'm going to find something else to do with those eight hours. And then I share a little bit about faith, and I, 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 if it's open, I'll share more, but I'm just like, God takes care of my needs. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean, I mean that humbly. It's, there's times I've wanted to do things career-wise, and God has said, no, that's just the way it goes. But I've never missed a meal yet, as you can possibly see. And I mean, Hayden looks like he's not fed, but the rest of us look okay, right? You know? Trust me, the kid won't stop eating. 24 by 7, 365, it's like having a hummingbird in the house. <laughs> All this energy, choo, 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 what's next to eat? What's next to eat? What's next to eat? You have to have something that drives your passion, and it, it has to be something worth having, being passionate about. Paul made tents. He wasn't passionate about making tents. I'm sure he was good at it. I'm sure there's days he enjoyed it. I'm sure there's days he looked at it and said, that was phenomenal. But he dropped it in a heartbeat when God called him to the next thing. It just, it just was the next thing to, to go... And, and keep going. What are we passionate about? Carl and I were speaking yesterday about a particularly frustrating situation someone was having. And Carla said, why does God choose to speak to this mother through situations in her kid's life? Why does God choose to speak to this mother through situations in her kid's life? And I said, he uses what she's passionate about, I suppose. Was, was my answer. Carla, being way smarter than me, said, yeah. God says, I've seen your passion, and now while I've got your attention, let me show you your heart. Paul's situation wasn't going to dictate how he was going to respond or react to how life had it around him. Paul's circumstances didn't decide whether or not Paul was happy. If they did, the guy would have been in real trouble. He probably would have, would have gone into a, a different ward in the, in the prison system to help somebody with chronic depression. Because these weren't great stories if you looked at them in what happened to Paul as an individual. But remember what Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Really served to advance the gospel. My father-in-law would say this was a learning experience. Paul would say this really served to advance the gospel. From the moment of his conversion, that was his singular focus. Now, did his uh, efforts go according to plan? Not always. Paul did plan without question, but did they always go according to plan? Remember how he met the church at Philippi 10 years earlier. He was trying to go to Asia, and he kept every effort he made to go to Asia just didn't work. And he got a dream one night, and it said, go to Macedonia. And that's how the church at Philippi was formed. 
Paul, when he wrote his, his letter to the church in Rome, said, uh, you know, I, I love you guys and I want to meet you. We've never met. I think it would be so amazing to get there. I've tried a couple of ways to get there and, and I haven't been able to, but God willing, I'm going to get there. Now, I would bet if you asked Paul to name 1,000 plans to get to Rome, this would not have been one of them. Live in the penal system of, Ro of, the, of the Roman government for the next five years of your life. And good news, the last prison they drop you in, it'll be in Rome. Winning, yay me. And Paul says, that's okay. None of that matters. None of his plan, not all of his plans worked out perfectly, but that didn't bother Paul. Why? Because his focus wasn't on here and my plan. That wasn't the, the measure of success. God doesn't call us to be successful in our plans. God calls us to be faithful to Him. And if He changes the plan, we just need to be ready for that. We just need to go with that change in the plan. Years ago, uh, my uh, nephew was going through a horrible time of uh, drug addiction and theft and all the problems that go along with that. And uh, he went to Teen Challenge. And Teen Challenge is a life transformational thing that people can go to, like Wayside Cross um, and, and other ministries like it, where people get to hear the, pow the, the true, true power of God and witness the true power of God in their life to overcome things like addiction. But if you've ever seen the inner workings of Teen Challenge, it is not the well-oiled machine you would hope it would be. <laughs> These are guys who are recovered, guys who are now running a program for guys who need to get recovered. These are guys who make their primary focus sharing the love of Christ with them, and sometimes that love is tough. But sometimes the Bible study guy would forget to show up, and so you'd have to wing it and figure that out. Sometimes the counselor that was supposed to work with you on something uh, just had something better to go that day. And I mean, I could go on and on about all these disconnected ways. It, it doesn't all work the way you should. And if you looked at it, and you were evaluating them based on what you saw to decide whether or not you were going to donate to that ministry or not, you would keep your wallet in your pocket. I hope there's no Teen Challenge representatives here today. But if you went to one of their banquets and you heard about the life transformation that happened in these guys' life, that God, without the perfect plan, without the, 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 the 12 perfect steps or whatever it was going to be, fed into these guys with people who'd been further along the journey that they would and saw them living for Christ on the other side and many of them serving the Lord today, you'd say, I don't know why it works, but I do know how well it works. My mom, when uh, he was in Teen Challenge, um, we, uh, we were complaining about some of the things that were going on and some of the horrible things he was, he was doing. And my mom said, um, do they make you go to church Sunday to my nephew? He goes, yeah, every Sunday we go to church. And she grinned. I'm like, what are you so happy about? And she's like, because my prayer was that my grandchildren would be in church every Sunday. And there's one more. <laughs> You've got your measuring stick. I've got my measuring stick. If you want to have Paul's happiness, no matter what life throws at you, then you have to view life from Paul's perspective. And that is to not let circumstances dictate how you feel. Happiness has nothing to do with your circumstances. If it does, you're in real trouble. Happiness has everything to do with your passion. So Paul says, I want you to know this is working out great. That guard that's chained to me every day, when someone comes and visits me and has questions about the Bible, he gets to hear about it the whole time. He's got no choice. He's going to have to listen. 
and then he goes and another guy comes and I get to do it all over again. Then I get to ask them, so how's your career going being chained to me for 24 hours a day? Well, have you ever thought about where your life is, where your spiritual is? And so Paul can talk to these guys and he can minister to this man chained to him and they do a rotation. And the word has got to be getting out about this prisoner that has been in the system for all these years now who won't stop smiling and who won't stop being encouragement, who won't stop being somebody that you want to talk to. And more and more and more people are hearing. And so Paul's saying, I don't know that I would have chosen this methodology of bringing Christ to Rome, but here we are. And then other people are coming in and they're hearing about it and the word is getting out. And there are people who are always afraid to step out for their faith. There were people who were very much concerned that if they did that, that maybe the, the leaders in Jerusalem would come after them. Maybe the Roman leadership would come after them. Maybe the leaders in their town would come after them. And there's all these things that they could have been afraid of. But Paul says, they look at me and they go, wow, everything they throw at this guy. And he comes through it on the other side, telling them about Jesus and how much Jesus loves them everything they throw at him. And all he can talk about is, did you want to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ? And it gave them strength, and it gave them power to push through and re-energized for all of those things. At the close of 2019, the church on earth has lost a powerful woman of faith, Dr. Lois Evans, Dr. Tony Evans' wife. They've got her celebration of life services online, you can watch it in clips. Uh, if you wanted to watch it in its whole, it would take about four hours. Um, you will need about a case of Kleenexes uh, to get through this, uh, this wonderful service. During his message, Dr. Evans touched on the idea of our plans versus God's will. And I'm going to just quote what he said. He said, God encourages planning. We have a God who has plans. Scripture will tell us to plan. But when you read James 4, and it talks about your ways versus his ways, what it's really saying is don't plan like a fool. Leave room in your plan for the will of God because your plan and God's will will, may not always match. If you don't make room for divine interruptions, you will be angry, you'll be mad, you'll be frustrated, and you'll be exacerbated because life doesn't go like you planned. He doesn't condemn them for planning. God, condemn, God doesn't condemn them for planning. He condemns them for planning and leaving him out. Give God the right to call an audible in your life. Andy and I spoke this morning, and the, the power of that message with a man at the backdrop of, of going to the next phase in, in, in the journey of life in his marriage with his wife being cut short by her having cancer, and for him to be able to say, we had to decide to make room in our life for God's plan. And we would not have chosen this. But it was well with their soul. Because that's God's plan. That's a powerful message. And it's something that uh, speaks to the character and the, the, the life of that family and how much they love God and choose to serve Him. So Paul views life from the perspective of his passion. We all have plans that fall through, big plans, dreams that didn't work out. Paul says, don't let them steal your joy. Focus on Christ. Don't focus on those. Paul also chooses his passion over his pride, verses 15 through 18. He says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? On that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul is saying that there are pastors out there who are running him down. There are pastors out there who are going, yeah, I knew this guy would get in trouble sometime. Do you see the crazy risks he takes? I, I, when I was in my master's program, I had a professor go on about, for half an hour about why did Paul go to Jerusalem in the first place? You knew it was a setup. He shouldn't have gone. So 2,000 years later, we're still armchair quarterbacking Paul's motives and Paul's techniques. And some of them did it because they were like, I never agreed with this guy. I never liked his techniques, and I'm going to let the church know it. And when I preach, I'm going to say, don't be like that guy Paul, the situation he found himself in. Others were like, I'm, I'm actually, if I'm honest, I'm jealous of Paul. Better preacher than I am. He, if I were admitting it to anybody, but I'm not going to. So I'm going to run him down as well, and I'm going to lift myself up. What's Paul saying all of that? I don't care. He's like, did you notice that in every one of those, they weren't preaching another gospel, they weren't heretics. Hypocrites, maybe. But the gospel is going out, and people are being saved, and lives are being transformed. Does it hurt that they run me down? I, I bet it hurt a little bit that they ran him down. Is he going to let that impact how he does the gospel? No. And we could go on and on about how one denomination can talk about another denomination and this and that and the other, but at the end of the day, is the gospel being spread out there? My, uh, my nephews, back before my nephew was saved, uh, were rough around the edges is a kind way to put it. My one nephew, the, the, Michael, the oldest, he had stolen something, I, to this day I don't know what, from a drug dealer. And so the gang was basically going to beat him up, and if he lived, he lived, and if he died, he died. And my sister was in tears, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it and everything, and my, he, he comes home with his little brother, and his little brother says, I took care of it. And Cindy says, what do you mean you took care of it? Well, I know the drug dealer, so I went and I had a conversation with him. I let him know we'd pay him back, and we'll smooth this whole thing over, and he was okay with that. So we're good. We're in the clear, Mom. Everything's fine. It's like, everything's fine. How do you know the drug dealer? How do you know the people that could do this kind of harm to people? What kind of life are you two living? And so she was speaking to a counselor about that, and the counselor's like, I wouldn't ask questions at this point. I would just praise God that your, your son knew who to talk to to save your other son's life. That's an extreme example, but sometimes we get caught up in the minutia of how it was done. Paul says, I don't care how it was done, just so long as it was done to the glory of God just so long it was done to the glory of God. In uh, New York, in the 80s, they had a terrible time with uh, people being robbed on the subway system and uh, being held at gunpoint. And uh, they just, what they noticed was that it was always on a Saturday night, and they figured it was partygoers who were getting uh, uh, held up while they were uh, drunk or whatever. So they came up with an idea. They put an undercover detective on a subway, and he had to act like he was passed out. And he'd have gold chains on him, and he'd have a wallet and everything else. And he'd just lay there like that. And then someone would come up, and they'd start stealing stuff off of him. And then all of these other cops would come out, and they would attack that guy and wrestle him down. And da, da, da. The whole time they were doing that, he still had to lay there like he was asleep because they didn't want to blow his cover. Then they'd put the chains back on him and put him back out there again. And they made 43 arrests in one night. And he got an award 
for it, along with the rest of them, a commendation for how much they transformed that problem in New York. And the guys were ribbing them, and they were like, you know, you should get the Rumpelstiltskin Award for the, the best sleeping, the amount of time sleeping, or, or not Rumpelstiltskin, whichever one was the guy that fell asleep. Uh, the Copernicus, yeah, award for, for sleeping all the time. And he's like, all I knew was we were there to take people off the streets who were hurting other people. And whether that meant I got to be the guy jumping you, or whether that meant I got to be the guy who got to lay lazily in a, sleep all night, uh, in a chair all night, what did I care? Paul's perspective takes place over his pride. Finally, Paul's perspective and passion come through in God's power. And I, I won't go through all of this, but uh, as we look at the end here, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my, in my body, whether li by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, when I do all these things, this isn't something I have inside of me personally that I've created. This isn't some mantra that I say every morning to myself to pump me up to feel happy. This isn't a self-help group or a, or a support book or something that I've, I've put together so that I, in my own power, can figure this out. I get my power to be happy in these situations. I get my power to be reminded that I am ultimately focused on Christ and focused on His will because of your prayers in my life and because of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that turns out for my deliverance. I get all of that because of Him, not because of me and not because of who I am. And Paul says, you know, in many ways, I would, I would rather die now so that I could be with him in glory. But I know in my heart that he's going to have me here a little while longer for you. And he says, that's okay. Because when I'm here to live as Christ, when I'm here, I'm serving him. I'm doing his will. And the day that he takes me to glory is a promotion. And it's a promotion like nothing else that's ever been seen on earth. And I have a lot more that I could say about this but I thought I wanted to close it with a clip, it's about three minutes long, of Jonathan, uh, um, lost their last name. What's that? Evans, thank you very much. See, school teachers, they know. Jonathan Evans. And this was his eulogy that he gave, to, a portion of the eulogy that he gave to his mom. And after that's done, then the band can come up and close us out, please. In my thoughts over the past few days, I was wrestling with God. Because I said, well, if we have victory in your name, didn't you hear us when we were praying? I was wrestling with God the last few days. Because this was a great opportunity 